Before we start the show, just a word from our sponsor, Undeniable Press. For all your screen printing needs, located in the Corktown District of Detroit, Michigan. If you ever need any t-shirts or any other little promo accessories, posters, or whatnot printed up for you, go to Undeniable Press. They're located, once again, in the Corktown District of Detroit, Michigan. And you can uh, reach them at facebook.com slash undeniablepressdetroit. And those same guys who do Undeniable Press also have a clothing line called 20 by 20 Apparel. It's very much wrestling themed. All sorts of nostalgic themes in regards to the history of wrestling. And you can go check out their clothing line at 20x20apparel.com. That's the number 20x, the number 20, apparel.com. Now let's start the show. Fresh is the word. I'm Jim Duggan, got long wood for plenty hoes. I keep it fresher than fresh, but you already know. You suckers bummy, I'm money, I got a ton of flows. My weed loud like a motherfucking thunder roll. Your shit quiet like you ballin' on a budget though. We see your kicks and we laughing, yelling what it goes. You see me shining like a suit on puffy. You know my grind and shit is too strong, buddy. That's why the dude call money. I be stuntin' like it's nothing at all. Cause it's nothing to me, it's probably something to y'all. Trying to smoke like me, then come and fuck with your dog. Got a closet full of kicks, you can't cop it tomorrow. And I'm fresher than the freshest, you can tell it's in my essence. Bitch, you see the way I'm rapping? Yes, I do this shit to death. I tell I'm running out of breath. I tell somebody cut a check. But either way, you know it's fresh. But either way, you know it's fresh. Fresh. We fresh. 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 Welcome to the Fresh of the Word podcast. I'm your host, Kelly K. Brush Frazier. Another great show for you, episode 83. And our guest this week is Elijah Witt, the lead vocalist of the New Orleans-based metal band Kane Witt. Earlier this year, the band released their sophomore album, Too Far Gone, via Rise Records. Kane Hill was recently featured on WWE Wrestling's NXT program, where their songs It Follows and Lord of Flies served as theme songs to the NXT TakeOver event, WrestleMania 34 Weekend, in New Orleans. Kane Hill also performed at NXT TakeOver in New Orleans as they opened up the event, and they also performed wrestler Ember Moon's entrance alongside Lizzie Hale of the band Hailstorm. During our interview, we detailed the whole process of linking up with the WWE, working with Triple H, and the whole preparation of performing at NXT TakeOver in their own hometown. We also talked about Witt's favorite wrestler at, the, at this time, Braun Strowman the band's new album, Too Far Gone, and how they were able to get in front of different types of crowds to maximize their exposure. There's a lot of great advice during this interview about touring with different types of bands and how to collaborate with other companies like clothing companies or with WWE, NXT, to, you know, they all sort of have a common goal and uh, want to help out, you know, a certain vibe, a certain audience. So there's a lot of great advice that uh, with you know, told during this interview. So uh, let's get into the interview with Elijah Witt from the band Kane Hill. Cool. Like I um originally wanted to talk to you guys because uh, I saw that you guys were going to be a part of NXT and NXT Takeover, and I'm a big wrestling fan. 
And I was like, oh, cool. Like, um, I had um, interviewed uh, Jamie Morgan from Code Orange before, but that was like way yeah. before they were a part of the NXT takeover thing. So this time I was like, okay, I'm going to let everything kind of, you know, the whole thing kind of go by and, and see if I can interview them afterwards because I want to get like the whole experience of, you know, performing at TakeOver and having their songs being a part of the official themes for TakeOver. How did, how did everything come about to where you guys were involved with WWE for their uh, NXT TakeOver? I, I really don't know, honestly, how it came about. I, I know that Triple H handles all of the... Um, like all of the behind the scenes stuff for NXT, like he's very hands on. And then I assume it was something either between him, the music production team on NXT, who are um, we, like curiously intertwined with the metal world, like the, the the newer metal world. You know what I mean? Like they were going to the same shows I was going to yes. back when I was in high school, like like Winter Play shows and in Mirror and like that heavy underground scene. So I think kind of what happened was um, NXT just the, the the team recognized this this thriving underground metal scene, and what they've done is they they've gone through the new bands that are coming out that are kind of different and um, maybe more exploratory with their sound, which is where I assume Code Orange was the first one they did, and then us um, just trying to. That's, that's, that's how I assume they found us, is just exploring this scene and looking for something fresh. Yeah, like over the past few years, um, NXT, you know, the music that they use for their packages, for the official themes for TakeOver, you know, is always sort of along that line of um, the sort of up-and-coming bands, the ones that are sort of different than the mainstream. On the main roster, you know, they have like the Flow Riders, the Diddies, you know, <laughs> you know stuff like that <laughs> but uh on the on the the nxt thing you know they always have really the cutting edge new bands you know how does it feel to sort of be a part of all of that and be like you know and was like one of the newer bands recently to be a part of this long line of all these cool bands that were a part of this brand it's honestly thrilling and um getting perform at our hometown arena for nxt takeover was like a, the most surreal thing we've ever done um, uh, you never expect that being alongside. I mean, we've got friends that have been NXT uh, theme songs, bands who've been the NXT themes part of it, and um, getting to kind of join those ranks was a really good experience for us. How ahead of time before, like, uh, they started ramping up the promo for? Uh, NXT Takeover that they uh, that you are aware that you're they're going to use your music uh, for just the you know the, the the promotion of the event. Uh, we found out that they were going to use our music probably like two months, maybe three months before it started. So it was it was in motion for a bit before it was announced and pushed. Um, they've got a really well-oiled machine over at WWE and NXT. So everything moves really quickly and really accurately and always ahead of time. Right. How long uh, ahead of time did you guys know that you guys were going to be performing at NXT TakeOver in New Orleans? Um, the idea came around the same time that they chose the stars. Um, I think they gave us the good news um, probably like a month before it happened. So 
we had a little bit of time to kind of get in the mindset of doing that and figure out what we were going to do. And, and like I said, they, they, they are a massive machine. So there were so many things that had to go into it, like rehearsals and sending cuts of our song, like even down to like the, the like five second mark on a, on, on like cutting down a song to fit. It had to be exactly right because of everything that uh, happened on the video screen and the walkouts and, and the TV scheduling, you know, so they had to give us enough time to at least figure that out. What was, um, you know, you guys also, uh, when it comes to like the, uh, the live performance there, and this is like, and they did this with Code Orange also, you know, they had you up on stage. They, they actually, you know, created a really nice environment to have a really good uh, performance. Because sometimes these musical performances, like at wrestling events, really kind of fall flat when you see them on TV and whatnot. But with you guys, and the same thing with Code Orange, it came off really cool. And especially at the beginning of uh, when the show starts, when you guys kick off the show, it, um, for us watching at home, it looks like a music video because they're tying in the, the packages with all the wrestlers and everything. Sort of, you know, how did, how did it feel kind of sort of the process of creating that environment with the production team at WWE? I mean, so we, all we really experienced was like them already having everything set up. And, and the thing is that Triple H, like I said, is so hands-on. He already had the, the image in his head of exactly how it was going to look. He walked into our rehearsal space while we were getting with, the, uh, with Lizzie Hale the night before. He was like, you're going to come out. It's going to look like a cemetery. You're going to be on this stage in this exact spot, and this curtain's going to raise at this time, and it's going to bing, bing, bang, boom, uh, to put it in the most like scientific terms possible. Um, he, he knew exactly what he wanted it to look like, and we were just kind of there to fill in the gap of, of that performance. Um, like, it, it was already an image before we showed up. How was it working with Triple H? He's one of the most down-to-earth, nicest people that we've ever met, honestly. Um, he made sure that we felt like we were much more important than we are. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. How much of a head time did you guys get, lead time did you guys get to when you found out that you're going to be uh, performing Ember Moon's uh, theme song with uh, Lizzie Hale? Well, we knew that we were going to do Ember Moon's theme song from the start. Um, it was part of the original discussion. Lizzie was just like a stroke of luck, honestly. We, um, her theme, Ember Moon's theme song was originally sang by a woman. Um, it's a woman's entrance. Uh, it just kind of made sense that we would find like a a domineering uh, female metal rock star, you know, to come do it with us. And um, our first choice was Lizzie Hale. She agreed within like a week of bringing it up to her. So, again, just done super according to plan as far as time scheduling goes. How was it like doing, um, you know, working with Lizzie Hale to, uh, you know, do this performance? She's the most down to earth person you ever met too. All these people we worked with were surprisingly down to earth. Um, like you have this weird idea in your head, you're like, oh, we're about to work with somebody who can play arenas, 
You know, um, it got hit, and we're nobody. Um, so I think you psych yourself out. You're like, oh, they're not going to be cool. They're not going to care. And then Lizzie showed up, and it was like a contest to see who was the most easygoing out of all of us. Um, <laughs> it just it made sense. It worked out, and she's amazing. She's got the best voice you've ever heard. She made us sound way cooler than we are. So <laughs> it was great. Being that you guys were in your hometown during that during WrestleMania, uh, did you get did you guys get to experience like the whole like sort of WrestleMania event just universe thing going on? And how how did it feel just to be a part of all that? I mean, it was crazy. I mean, we went to we went to NXT. We um we played it. Then we went and played a show at House of Blues. And the next day, we went to WrestleMania and just kind of went all out there. Um, like they said, they really took care of us, so we got to experience the entire thing, and um, it was it was just crazy to be a part of it. When I tell you that that was the most surreal experience I think we've ever had, it was out of this world. Um, it, it's not something that I could have ever described before I'd seen it. You know? Yeah, I was um, I was I was watching the interview that you guys did backstage uh, with WWE. And you mentioned that you would love to do more music with wrestling with WWE. What do you think? What What do you feel is like uh, the reason why your music was so attractive to them? And you know, why does you know your music feel like it fits with like the attitude of wrestling? I don't know, man. It's just angry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it gets you in the mood to watch people go like knuckle to knuckle. I don't know why. I think it's just the beats and the fucking heavy riffs. You know, um, it just made sense. And we honestly love to do like, theme songs or entrances, anything, any any more music we could do with wrestling in general would just be exciting for us because it's another another reason to write heavy music. Okay, with, um, with everything that you guys did with uh, WWE and NXT, you know, were you a wrestling fan before all of that happened? Um... I liked wrestling. Um, I, I don't. I don't. I didn't watch it as much as I probably could have. Um, my house had like this weird ban on anything violent being on the television. Not entirely sure why. Super conservative household. Um, but I liked wrestling. Um, but the weird thing is, is that a, 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 about a year ago, I started dating this girl who is a massive wrestling fan. Um, like way more into it than I ever expected nice. someone that I would be dating. Um, and so she has kind of assimilated me back into paying attention and getting into wrestling before this happened. So it was kind of like this weird coincidental timing that I had gotten more focused on WWE and wrestling. And then like eight months later, they approached us to, to play takeover. Wait, who did she like sort of like introduce you to when she uh, like was like, oh, who, who is she a fan of? Like who, who did she was like, okay, you got to watch this guy. He's awesome. See, she actually kept her opinions away from me. That way I could form my own, uh, which was nice of her. She just kind of told me who everyone did and did not like at the time. Like she got me back into like the accurate storyline. Okay. Um, now we root for Braun though because he's fucking massive. Um, I'm just a fan of the largest, angriest looking people, to be honest. 
Right. Anyone who's small and weak, I don't much care for. <laughs> yeah, Braun Strowman is a pretty, uh, pretty entertaining fellow, man. <laughs> I love that guy. The Bludgeon Brother. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? The bigger they are, the the more I back them. <laughs> Dude, yeah, man, yeah, they used to. Like back in the day, like a lot of the um, a lot of the WWE guys were just big muscular dudes and stuff. But then, sort of like, um, yeah, then like sort of like the influence of like what was coming from the indie the indie organizations, and you started having these smaller guys that were um, they they couldn't ignore them anymore. When you had like people like Daniel Bryan uh, becoming yeah, I was about to say being this like, huge he's like, like he's got that everyman body. You know what I mean? Right. There's yeah, there's he's a hell of a wrestler. Right. There's people like uh, Daniel Bryan and CM Punk who, like, the fans just loved and, like, you couldn't really, you know, ignore them anymore. So now you see a lot more of the smaller guys being superstars in the WWE now. I mean, they're quicker, let's be honest, though. Right, right. <laughs> they've, they've got that on the big guys. They're more agile. They, their, their ability to, to do things this increases because of their flexibility and their ability to move quicker than the larger, more muscular guys. I mean, look at the amount of fucking muscle Triple H has compared to Daniel Bryan, right? Right. There's got to be some, some lack of flexibility in that kind of size. Oh, definitely. But the thing is with like the bigger guys for a while, it was like a lot of them were sort of lacking any sort of personality. And that's what's so, that is what's so cool about Braun Strowman this guy just has so much personality and, and people just love him. Like the kids right, love like, that guy. He's fun to watch. Right. <laughs> right. He's just fun to watch. Like, and everything that comes out of his mouth is just like hilarious, but it's something a big guy would say. Exactly. It all makes sense, but in a really entertaining way. Yeah. No, he's great at that. That's probably why I like him the most. <laughs> Right. I can't I, I just I can't wait until like like he actually gets like a world championship, like like the universal title or something, because I really want him to be like a solo world champion. Oh, you don't want you don't want Nicholas to stay as tag team champ. <laughs> that was that was really that was a really fun thing though. I, I did enjoy that. I was there, it was hilarious. He looked so scared. <laughs> Oh, that that was that was that was so that was great though, man. It was it was so that was so funny though. The funny thing was is like it took Braun Strowman so long to go find him. Like, like <laughs> he could he could throw Nicholas like a football, right? <laughs> but it was a cute thing, and like for something like WrestleMania, like they need sort of like those things to happen. I think WrestleMania needed that in general, honestly. Yeah, like WrestleMania needs some of those things that will connect to like the regular, like the 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 person who isn't a hardcore wrestling fan, like the people who are just casual fans or people that just watch WrestleMania, uh, just because of it's WrestleMania. They need those little like sort of every man sort of little cute stories to happen. Yeah, it kind of ties in the casual viewer. I mean, I still consider myself a casual viewer. I'm not like a diehard hardcore fan. Like uh, like my ball and chain, but that that's why that moment stuck out to me because it was it was graspable, it was relatable, it was 
cute and funny. And it was kind of the only, the only major kind, not even major, but like miniature storyline, I guess you could say of WrestleMania in its entirety anyway. Right. Uh, no one really had the mic at all at WrestleMania. I guess it was more focused on wrestling. Go figure. Yeah, but. basically. Yeah. <laughs> outside of um, outside of the WWE, have you uh, been exposed to any of the other companies? Honestly, no. Uh, the only one that I've had any kind of um, interaction with is, is uh, this brand new one. Uh, Seth Rollins works with this company, Blackcraft, and Blackcraft has started their own indie wrestling league, I guess, um, in the past few months, actually, uh, called Blackcraft Wrestling. They're having their first event in a week or two, I yeah, think. Right. Um, but the only reason I've been exposed to that is, is because we work closely with Blackcraft in general. So I kind of just saw it from their creators, and I'm interested to see where it goes because they're a really dark clothing brand, so I assume the wrestling itself is going to be a very dark kind of thing. Right. Yeah, yeah, I really like that uh, that brand. I, I do have one of their shirts. It, they're really awesome people. Um, they're super involved in, in the heavy underground music scene, and they're, su- they're like getting involved in like the rock world as well, so they're growing, and um, they do everything they can to help bands, and I assume the wrestlers that they um, endorse so it's really cool. They're a really cool company. Let's speak more about that. Like, how, how important is it to have sort of these brands like that to be involved with heavy music when, like, heavy music is something that kind of gets sort of treated as, like, a redheaded stepchild for the music industry? How, how important is it to have things outside of music to sort of, sort of co-brand with the music to, to sort of create this community? Uh, it's probably one of the most vital parts of the, the underground metal scene, honestly. It's, um, what happens is, is these brands and bands form together and they create collaborations and a, a relationship that kind of grows the small community as a whole. So it still stays underground, which is good and bad. And I could go on for hours about that in of itself. Um, but it, it, it it strengthens the community that's already here. It, it kind of gives them a branding to go with the music. So you've got a visual aspect and the musical aspect combined together, working together, not only to help each other uh, with the stability of, of the companies that have, are being run, because in the end, you've got to remember, a band is also still a company. Um, so not only do they help that way, but, I mean, there's, there's the community around it. So you've got the business aspect and the community both benefiting from the relationship. You know what I mean? Right. Right. How, how important is it like as a band for you to, you know, when you're touring to sort of tour with, you know, other bands that maybe isn't like exactly down the lane that you're going. Cause in the past you've, uh, you've toured with, uh, people like the insane clown posse and then you've done stuff like like the NXT thing these are things that are kind of different than what you are you know what sort of you know what comes out of uh you know having these tours or collaborations with things that aren't exactly what you're doing well I think I think the bottom line is um a lot of the people who don't like the kind of music you make just simply aren't exposed to it 
So when you put yourself in that kind of atmosphere, when you put yourself in front of people who don't know about the world you play in, who don't know about the scene that you're coming from or, or the, the genre that you're in, you know, when you put it in front of them, they're going to like it because they don't realize that they don't like that kind of music. You know what I mean? Um, we're just, we're taking our music to a demographic who otherwise wouldn't be exposed to it, putting it in their face in, in a way that's kind of just undeniably good. We know we're a good band. We know we're good musicians. So if we just get in front of you and play it, we know you're going to grab onto it. So by playing all these weird markets that haven't heard of us, we're kind of just collecting this eclectic fan base of, of strangers to kind of culminate into one area when we do headliners or when, when kind of when we do our own thing. Do you ever see like a sort of a uh, positive bump when you do stuff like that? Like do you, when you go back to those towns, do you see t-shirts of bands that you toured with? Do you see like juggalo t-shirts? Do you see wrestling t-shirts now at shows that you're, uh, that you're not performing at? Oh yeah. I mean, man, like, um, after we did the ITP tour, I mean, we get family chants and whoop whoops across the nation. <laughs> uh, it's not like a full room of juggalos. I mean, there's, there's juggalos that fuck with us, which is tight. Um, and then ever since we've done NXT, I mean, it used to be the majority of people coming up to me and be like, yeah, man, I saw you on like the Hell Yeah tour. Yeah, I caught y'all with Bulletproof Valentine and and uh, Devil Driver, and now everyone comes up like, yeah, man, I saw you on NXT, and I'm like, that's fucking tight, I was on the TV, that's right, you saw that shit, and like, um, so, I think it's, it's given us, like, a, an exponential spike in, in those worlds, like, we see, uh, we put out a t-shirt that's kind of like a, a WCW uh, spoof, and when we put that out now at all our shows, we kind of can pick out who are all the wrestling fans. This is a very niche shirt. Like, if you don't fuck with wrestling, you're not going to get it. Right. Um, and there's always, like, three or four of those T-shirts in the front row. And it's like, all right, you guys suck with wrestling. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, how, how important is it for, you know, upcoming bands to sort of be able to get on tours that are, not only, you know, people with different, um, like different audiences, but even uh, bands that are from different eras, you know, having, having a band from a, a previous era or a previous couple eras, how important is that for an up-and-coming band? I mean, if you're only touring with new bands, you're probably only going to get young fans because, um, I mean, I've read a few studies on this, but I mean, I'm sure you've also noticed in yourself when you get older, you stop kind of searching for that new music. You, you just listen to what you've listened to for so long because it's just a part of who you are. Your formative years were, were bonded with the music that you're going to listen to for the rest of your life. Um, so touring with new bands, it's mostly going to be young fans, which is great. Those fans will grow up with you. They'll stay your fans for a long time until they're adults, and that's all they listen to. But if you tour with the older bands that have older fans and you're hitting a market and a demographic of older people who already have their biases and their judgments made on music, you're going to capture them because they haven't exposed themselves to anything new in so long that no matter what you play, it's either going to be fresh as hell to them or it's going to bring up nostalgia to them because you're from the era of the music that they stopped listening to their music in. 
So all you have to do is put it in front of them, and it will grab them. So then you'll have the younger and the older demographic instead of just having this one very specific target. You know what I mean? mean, It can work negatively, too, because maybe they'll fucking hate it. Who knows? (laughs) No matter what you do, people can hate it. Right, right. I don't know. Is there any like is there any bands that you specifically that you would love to to get on the tour with cuz you would you just know that if you could like get in front of their fans that you would just like really knock their socks off. Did you repeat that question? I'm sorry. My uh, brain was spinning. <laughs> All good. I was saying is there any um bands that you would love to tour with specifically that if you got in front of their fans that you just know you'd be able to knock their socks off. I mean, I'm 100% sure if you put us in front of fucking Slipknot fans, we'd destroy it. Um, fuck. I don't put much stock into thinking about what tours I want because I don't think about the tours we get. But Right. Pantera was still around. Man, man that would be fun. Yeah, I, I really don't think about that kind of stuff. Right, right. I, you guys have, an, you know, your second full-length album that uh, was released earlier this year, Too Far Gone. Uh, what was sort of the, you know, the headspace of the band going into making this album? What did you guys want to accomplish? Um, really, we just wanted to, to beat what we did on our last effort, you know. The only uh, the only goal we went in with was creating an album that was better than Smiley. Um, our headspace was just kind of we were broken and lost and kind of in this in this really dark area where we were kind of fixated on on the reality of death for a while because we put ourselves so close to it so many times in just the span of a year and a half. Um, so I think. All, all we cared about was creating some sort of longevity for this band and um, making an album that superseded what we had done to prove that we weren't going to just flop away, that we were going to continue and push forward to further our careers in the music world and be able to keep creating art for people, I guess. On that sort of topic of, of death for this new album, uh, you know, how were, how were you able to convey that on, you know, writing and recording this album? Do you feel like you were able to get everything out that you wanted to? I don't think I got everything out. And I think that's the beauty of, of getting to make more music is that I have the opportunity to continue um, kind of portraying how I felt and what I've been through and and put it all on paper. Um, But I think that we were able to do it as well as we did because it was just honest. Um, Everything that I had to say, everything that James, Devin, and Ryan put into their instruments was just an absolutely genuine feeling. Um, We'd all gone through pretty much the same thing with each other throughout all that time. So there was something that we were all collectively in on. We all collectively felt the same way about everything that had happened. Um, and it was just easy to formulate that. 
Was there anything that you discovered, anything new, anything that you learned during the, the writing and recording of Too Far Gone that was something that just kind of like changed the course of the band and is something that you're going to continue to do on the next albums? What we realized while we were doing Too Far Gone is that um, we kind of have the ability to do whatever we want. If that makes sense? I don't know if that sounds super cocky or just confident. I mean, no. we just, we realize we can write whatever we want and it still sounds like Kane Hill. We can write acoustic songs and it still sounds like Kane Hill. We can write uh, absolute mosh bangers and it still sounds like Kane Hill. We can throw uh, fucking phasers and clean tones over uh, distorted noise and I'm sure it would still sound like Kane Hill. And that's probably the most important thing that we learned is that we, we we're kind of just going to do what we want forever. Do you feel like you, uh, you get enough uh, artistic fr uh, freedom from your record label rise records? We do. Um, I, mean, I can, I, I speak for, our, for ourselves. We've never had a single problem. Um, they let us go whatever direction we want. Um, I think, something to do with them just having faith in us. Like I said, we are good musicians, you know, and, and we know and have a clear idea of what we want to be and what we are. So we've never had them come tell us anything. They just say, wow, we love it. Let's put it out. What do you, what do you like to, what, what would you want to have your fans get out of like going to a Cane Hill show? What are you trying to put out there for them? Just the energy and, and, and the, the deep-seated feeling between, uh, within every song that we play. I mean, there's anger, there's madness, there's sadness, there's grief all in one set. We just want someone who comes to our show and sees us to, to feel that throughout the set. We just try to create the atmosphere of, that embodies perfectly how every song goes from each feeling to the next. How do you how do you how do you sort of uh, deal with uh, providing sort of a a positive aggression at your shows and making it safe for you know the people your fans to come see you guys uh, perform live? Uh, man, I'm not sure I put much effort into making it safe from a violent market. Um, if you come to our show, you're going to hear me say that I want to see some sort of violence, and that's just the way it is. I'm not about to change that. If you don't want to get in the violence, then you should stay away from the pit, which is pretty easy. There are areas of the show that don't have violence. Right. Uh, but other than that, I mean, if we see somebody get hurt, if we see anybody damaged if there's anything going on that's absolutely not okay we will make sure that we stop it um as long as it's not life-threatening or psyche-threatening or health-threatening i don't see a problem with it right right yeah because you know people know what they're getting into when they go to a heavy show but there's still people that go in there being total dicks and want to overdo it and so, you know, it's, it's definitely cool to be able to like, hey, don't be a dick in the mosh pit or 
bring people in that don't want to be in the mosh pits, you know, they're still. Yeah. Like, I definitely don't think the fully grown adults swing their fists at little girls is cool. Uh, hell no. Hell no. A lot of much of the, uh, the heavier, heavier scene. What, um, what is it about the story of the band of the band Kane Hill that if someone was listening to this was on, had no idea who your band was, had, you know, has no inkling of listening to heavy music. What is it about your story of the band that could still translate to other work, other music, other artists, other forms of art? You know, what's something about your story that can translate to, to uh, more people? Uh, I think we're, it's just that we're just like everybody else, man. We're just, we're, we're damaged people who are able to express how we feel, if that makes sense. Um, what, what we are and what we do is just, we try to convey our own hurt and everyone else's hurt into the music that we make, whether it's through rage, grief, sadness, anger, hatred, or, or just being lost. Everybody's got that feeling. Everybody's gone through that. Everybody goes through that all the time. And we're just putting it into an audible message. How sort of important, how therapeutic has it been for yourself to sort of convey all those sort of broken feelings from your life into music? I mean... It's way better than therapy. I've tried therapy and that shit sucks. The only way I've ever been able to like get over the things in my life is by putting it in either poetry or lyrics. So before I sang, I wrote poetry. And now that I'm a singer in a band, it's just great to be able to put it in, into more than just paper. I get to put it into melody and give it even more emotion than I had before. So I think, I think without this, I'd, I'd be a very, very troubled person. Think everybody in the band would be. What sort of feedback do you get from your listeners in regards to, you know, putting these broken feelings on record? You know, do you do you get some good feedback from your uh, fans? I think the the reason our fans love us as much as they do is because they're able to connect with our music so much. I mean, the majority of tweets or comments or posts that that are ever sent to us are just people telling us why they relate to our music, how they relate to our music, or what it's done for them. You know, um, I think on, on some level, it's, it's just the, there's, there's, it's good that the music's really catchy, but on a much deeper level, the fanatics of our fans, the, the diehards, it's because it resonates so deeply with the fans. Right. Just to uh, you know, wind down this interview. I always, um, I always end my interviews by asking the same question, and the question is: Who is somebody that's been a part of your life or career that I could realistically interview for this podcast that would have some great stories to tell? Hmm. Let me think about that because there's quite a few. Um, you, you should try. The first band we ever toured with was called The Plot and You, and they became one of our best friends in the, in the music industry just because they are real, they're genuine, and it's hard to, it, since them, 
it's hard to come across people as genuine and real and deeply invested in their music as they are. Um, so I'd interview Landon. He's one of the smartest, most influential people to me. He, honestly, his, his philosophy on life and touring is uh, something I carry with me ever since that tour. So I think Landon would be a great one. All right. Great, uh, great suggestion. If um, anybody wants to find out any more information about Kane Hill, where can they go online? You can go to Instagram. We are just at Kane Hill. Twitter is Kane underscore Hill. Facebook slash We Are Kane Hill. Uh, Spotify, Apple Music. The huge. Cool, man. <laughs> it's been uh, great talking with you. Uh, you know, good luck with everything, man. Thank you. I've had a blast. All right, great. Have a nice day. So that was my interview with Elijah Witt from the band Kane Hill. Their new album, Too Far Gone, is out now via Rise Records, so go pick that up. It's definitely a great album. And now on to the freshest word, fresh pick of the week. And this episode's pick is the debut album, Disobey, from the metal band Bad Wolves. They, quit, they broke out quickly into the mainstream recently with their cover of The Cranberries' Zombie, a track that would turn into a tribute to the late front woman Dolores O'Riordan, who was all set to rep, uh, reprise her vocals for the, for the cover with Bad Wolves before her passing. While the band just formed last year, all the members are no strangers to rock music, putting in time with other known bands throughout the years. With Zombie killing it on the rock radio uh, these days, Bad Wolves have become the newest rock band to watch, and their debut album, Disobey, is chock full of great records that will keep the momentum going. So go ahead and check it out. All the links to everything that I just talked about and where to purchase or buy them are on the show notes for this episode at freshesthepodcast.com. And just a reminder, if there is anything on the website that you want to share on your social media, feel free to do so. Just go to freshesthepodcast.com and just share any links to any of the episodes on your social media. That would be great. And just a reminder, you can subscribe to Fresh is the Word online at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, Google Play, and TuneIn. Just a search Fresh is the Word on any of those platforms. And it'll come up, hit the subscribe, the follow, whatever you need to do to, you know, stay up to date with each and every episode that comes comes your way. And if you would like to review or rate the podcast, that would be very helpful, especially on Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating, hopefully five stars. And if I, if I see that you put a, uh, a review down, I'll definitely shout you out on a future uh, episode. And you can follow me on, online on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly Omega Fresh and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash KFresh. And you can follow Fresh of the Word online on Twitter at FITW Podcast, on Instagram at Fresh of the Word Podcast, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Fresh of the Podcast, and on SoundCloud at SoundCloud.com slash Fresh of the Word Podcast. Now that's another episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed yourself. Thank you for listening. Goodbye and good night. Fresh, 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 fresh is the world.